So again, thank you all for coming. Here we are in San Antonio on a nice hot day. All of you have chosen to come here and be with us uh, to hear about Krishna. So uh, you could be sitting home in nice air conditioning, but here you are coming to, uh, to talk about Krishna. So that's it's very glorious. Thank you so much. I was wondering, uh, so many things we can speak on, but I always like to ask, is there anything in particular anybody would like to speak on tonight? Um, yeah, uh, maybe, well, I'll ask your opinion. How, how would you feel about talking on the 15th chapter? Yeah, that sounds nice. Any particular verse? Well, um, the, the beginning, when it's talking about the banyan trees, it's, um, I, don't, I don't quite get it. I mean, maybe you could explain it. Well, let's just go to that, and that's a good one. Krishna is talking to Arjuna. And he's talking about. Uh, there's several verses here, so I'll skip the Sanskrit and, and read the translation so we get the gist rolling. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to stop anytime, okay? You might want to lock that so she doesn't fall out. So Krishna is talking to Arjuna. Krishna says. Uh, I'll read the first verse in Sanskrit and then the rest I'll just read English. Is that okay? I don't like to eliminate the Sanskrit altogether. Sri Bhagavan Uvacha Purdvamulamadahasakam Ashwatam Prahur Avyayam Chandam Shiyasya Parnali Tastam Vedasa Vedavit who is, what is this Vedavit? Anybody know what Vedavit is? Knower of Vedas. Knower of the Vedas. One who knows the Vedas. Veda is knowledge. So, the true knowledge. Now there's so much knowledge. People say, well, I don't know the Vedas, but I have a lot of knowledge. But the knowledge in the Vedas can actually change your life. It can actually give you spiritual life and keep you from taking another birth. It can set the course for eternity, a very positive course. Your knowledge as an accountant or um, a doctor or whatever may help you very much in this lifetime, but it may not do so much in the next lifetime. So the true knowledge is held in the Vedas. Knowledge of the self. Who am I? Who is God? So this Vedavit, Krishna says here, <clears throat> the Supreme Personality of Godhead said, it is said that there is an imperishable banyan tree that has its roots upward and its branches down and whose leaves are the Vedic hymns. One who knows this tree is the knower of the Vedas. So, uh, the branches, the, the leaves are the Vedic hymns. See, one who knows this tree knows the Vedas, the Vedic hymns. What are the Vedic hymns? A hymn is something that's sung. So the Vedic hymns are only sung to praise Krishna and his glories. You see, to give knowledge. Knowledge of the self. So, one who knows this tree is a knower of the Vedas. <coughs> the second verse. The branches of this tree extend downward and upward nourished by the three modes of material nature. The twigs are objects of the senses. This tree also has its roots going down and, there are, and these are bound to fruitive actions of the human society. The real form of this tree cannot be perceived in this world. No one can understand where it ends, where it begins, or where its foundation is. But with determined determination, one must cut down this strongly rooted tree with a weapon of detachment, 
thereafter, one must seek that place from which having gone, one never returns, and there surrender to that supreme personality of Godhead, from whom everything began, and from whom everything has extended since time immemorial. So, uh, let me pause here because we've covered, actually we've talked a lot about what's been covered in these verses. But we're talking about a tree, a, a banyan tree. Krishna uses this, this uh, uh, instance of a banyan tree. So, let's just say it could be any tree, any kind of tree. You know, you see a, a tree on the bank of a lake. Okay, the tree is sitting like this with the branches up and the roots are going down. See, like any tree. Then in the, in the reflection in the, the body of water, the lake or whatever, it's just the opposite. The roots are going up and the branches are going down. It's a reflection, you see. So if this was a mango tree, and you see this tree and you think, oh, mangoes are in season. They're in season in India right now, aren't they? <laughs> so you may think, oh, let me get a nice sweet mango from this tree. So if you go to the tree that's in the water, the reflection, you just get a handful of water. It's an illusion, you see. It's a perverted reflection. It's not really a tree at all. It's just a reflection of a tree. So the real tree has its branches going up and its roots going down. So this material world is a perverted, and I, I stress the word, perverted reflection of the material world, of, of the spiritual world. In the material world, there are there is everything that's in the spiritual world, or everything that's in the spiritual world is in the material world, but it's upside down and backwards. It's perverted. You see. In the I guess a good, for instance, would be the subject of love. You know, there's love in the spiritual world. The spiritual world is made of love. And somebody might quickly say, but there's love in, this, in the material world too. Isn't it? My dog loves me. Isn't it? You ever see anybody, they feel, my dog loves me. And it's true, your dog does love you. If you feed him on a regular basis, you see? So my point is, if you take a dog or a cat, you know, maybe even a parakeet, I don't know, depending on the, the level of intelligence of the, of the animal, if you give it love and affection, you know, like you can have a dog or cats, you know, uh, both of them actually, if you scratch them in the right place, oh, they twist their body and they go, oh, oh. Ooh, that is wonderful. You give them something nice to eat, some nice cool water, you see? And now they really love you. They love you. But what's going on here? You're giving some pleasure, therefore there is some affection. See? Actually, to us, we've become like a, a small god, you might say. I'm god to this animal. This animal looks at me, this animal gets everything from me. I feel so important in this animal's life. Actually, I control this animal. I am the animal Ishwara. I am the animal controller. I control. If I choose you don't eat, you don't eat. If I choose you don't get water, you don't get water. But I love you, so I choose that you take care of. So the dog responds very nicely. See. So my point is in the material world what we see as love is generally an exchange. You give me, I give you. You see. You, it's the old saying, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know? So uh, in the spiritual world there is no expectation of anything in return big difference. That's pure love. Unadulterated love. Unalloyed love. <clears throat> no alloys. Just love. Nothing else mixed in. Just pure love. You see? We love Krishna expecting nothing in return. 
We're making no demands on Krishna. I'm going to give you my love, my dear Lord, because I love you. You see? So, uh, you can see a vast difference in love in the material world. You see? Does that make any sense? Does everybody agree? You can, it's okay if you disagree. You know, can you think of any instances in the material world where love isn't predicated, based on getting something back? I love you uh, because you're a pretty lady. I love you because you please my senses. I see you and my eyes become pleased. You please my ego because when I go out to a party with you on my arm, they all look at me and say, Hey, look at that guy with the pretty girl over there. You see? There's some exchange here. Uh, you, you make me feel a certain way. In other words, you help me with my image that I have. My own image. And I like that. So, in the material world we see that these things change. The material world is always changing. So, relationships are also changing. So, uh, the young pretty girl after a few years and maybe having a few children the man is thinking well you know you don't do for me what you used to do you know I, now this young pretty girl over there she likes me and she makes me feel greater than you ever made me feel she pleases my eyes she looks even more beautiful on my arm when I take her to a party I think I'm gonna divorce you and take her. Over 50% of marriages in America end up that way. You see. So where's the love? You see. Well, there, there was some affection, but where did it go? Well, practically speaking, we don't understand love. You see. But we can only love, we can only learn true love by investing it in Krishna, giving our love to Krishna. Now you may say, well, why? why? Why only God? Why, why can't I learn true love by, by meeting my true soulmate? You know, you've heard that, that term that's used a lot. My, I want to meet my soulmate. You know, or people have said, oh, guess what happened to me over the weekend? Why? I met my soulmate. Oh, well, I'm very happy for you. So, if you want to find your soulmate, I always tell people, look to your left, look to your right. All these people in this room, all these living entities outside, the plants, the grass, the birds, the deer, and the other living entities, these are all your soulmates. They're all soulmates. You see. Now, some people are like, well, how can you say, I don't even know the grass, I don't know these souls. I don't know, I don't know that guy over that lives in that house over there. I've never even met him. But he is your soulmate. Why? Because before the two of you, before all of us, chose to come to this material world, we were in the spiritual world together for how long? Eternity. That's just such a long time, it's kind of hard to wrap your arms around it, isn't it? It's kind of hard to, I mean, we can think of it. Sometimes it's better to say a hundred billion years. You know, there was an insurance company years ago, uh, Aetna, Aetna Life and Casualty. They had an insurance product, a group medical product. Now, typically in that, in that industry, there were limits on the amount of coverage, lifetime limits. So one company came out with a million. You know, you have a million dollar lifetime. Boy, that's a lot of money. You know, so you pay your premiums and a million dollars. Then somebody else said, well, we'll go two million. Somebody else said, well, we'll go five million. Aetna came out and said, we'll go unlimited. And then they did a survey. People didn't understand. They thought five million was more than unlimited. It made more sense. Unlimited could be a hundred million, but people were buying the five million dollar limit because there was a finite amount, you see. 
So our material minds think in numbers and things. When we say eternity, you can think, whoa, I just blew a fuse. I can kind of understand, but it, it's hard for me. But that means forever. We were together forever. There never was a time when we weren't together, serving Krishna together. There's no, there was no beginning to it. There'll be no end. But here we are for this little brief period. Now, even if it's a hundred million years that we're in this material world, that's still a very brief period compared to eternity. It's not even a nanosecond. You can't even measure it. It's like that, see. So, we're all soulmates. We've always been together serving Krishna. We always will be together serving Krishna. Just for some blink of an eye, we've come to this material world to find something better. And we've bumped into each other. You know, we've lost all of our uh, spiritual identity. We've lost our spiritual memory. Well, it's not completely lost, it's just covered over. So this practice of Krishna consciousness, this chanting of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, is to awaken this dormant consciousness of our love for God and our love for one another. You see? Oh. I forget, I, I know, I think I was talking with your sister last night. Yeah. And we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about the love, understanding love. When you start to associate with Krishna's devotees, you, you, you start to understand um, different depths of love and caring for them, you see. It's not on a material basis. It's all on a spiritual basis. So you, you learn different degrees of it. See? So um, that's the nature of this Krishna consciousness. It awakens your dormant ability to love. To give love. You see? Krishna consciousness will do that. It will awaken. It will make you uh, you could say, Krishna Consciousness will make you a better lover. It'll make you a lover for the first time in your trip through this material world. For the first time you'll discover, you'll rediscover what true love is and how to love. Now what is that? By offering love, offering service, loving, unconditional service to the Supreme Lord Krishna, and his devotees. Unconditional, meaning I don't expect anything. I don't want anything. It's just like, you know, Bhakti uh, Stephen. He, he works so hard. I see him every morning. He's here and he's scrubbing and cleaning. You know, cleans the kitchen, cleans this, cleans the temple room, and cleans the kitchen floor, all the pots and pans, and scrubs everything. Now, if I went up and said, hey, look, you know, hey, here's 50 bucks for today's work. Well, he wouldn't feel comfortable. He wouldn't like this. So, what would you say? I don't want your 50 bucks. You see? So, this is the definition of love. Loving devotional service. This is the definition of bhakti. Not only do I not expect anything in exchange, I won't accept anything in exchange. That would taint the whole picture. You know? It... it twist the whole thing. I'm simply offering loving devotional service. And I'm not expecting anything. You see? We're not making any demands on each other or Krishna. You know, we don't keep a tally, you know, like an account. Alright Krishna, look at it this way. This year I gave you this and I gave you that and I gave you this and I gave you that. Now okay, give me what's what's in it for me. We don't do like that. It's not like uh, uh, keeping a record of uh, uh, like people have charitable donations. And I think it's very good that you deduct 
Hey, Hare Krishna. You know, charitable donations off your income tax, but you expect that. See, but with Krishna, we don't expect anything. You still deduct it. It's, it should be done. But there's no demand on Krishna to be like that. Nor Krishna's devotees. So, what we're seeing is when we learn to perform, perform a loving devotional service is we're looking at the tree that's got its branches upward. We're looking at the real tree. We're looking at true relationships. Real relationships. Not temporary relationships based on what can I get from you? You see, what do I have to give you for me to get what I want? You see, we're actually looking at true relationships between living entities. So it's the real tree. It's the one, as I said uh, in the beginning, you, you can't pick the mango off of the tree that's the reflection. So you can't get true love off the reflected world. It's not there. It's like the animals in the desert. Srila Prabhupada talks, you've all seen, you've been driving someplace in the desert. It doesn't even have to be the desert. You can be driving sometimes and you see a mirage. Like you see water in the distance on the highway. You've seen that? So sometimes Prabhupada says the animal in the desert, he sees this mirage, he sees this water. And he's very thirsty, so he starts to chase it. He's going for the water, thinking, oh, my thirst will be quenched. But when he, he gets there, there's no water. And then he sees more in the distance, and he goes for that. And he continues and continues chasing this illusion until he's dead. He dies of thirst. See? Which is the situation for those of us in the material world that are under the spell of this illusory energy. We may want love, and we're trying to, to get it from the illusory. We're always disappointed. Until you find someone, if your husband is a devotee of Krishna, if your wife is a devotee of Krishna, then there is this love. Why? Because both of you are servant of Krishna. Both of you are able to access the true relationship of and, and you're learning to love unconditionally without making any demands you see so the experiences are richer you know we were talking uh, the other night i was talking with bhakti mike um, that uh, um, sometimes people become confused when they 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 hear about our philosophy and they they think well, but with all this renunciation, you're renouncing all these things. So it sounds like it's a very austere life. You give up so much, you don't have anything. You see? You know, you're always talking about giving up enjoyment. That's a misunderstanding. The devotee has everything. Nobody enjoys on the level that the, that the devotee enjoys on. We enjoy on a much higher level. We're full of enjoyment. Isn't it, isn't it like that? You know, when you wake up in the morning and go see your deities, isn't that enjoyment? You're probably rushing down the hall as you're tucking in your dhoti, you know, thinking, oh, he is there, he's waiting. Radharani is there waiting. Tulsi Mata, she is there. See, this is enjoyment. Offering it. Foodstuffs to Krishna, and then you take that with the remnants. High-class enjoyment. We get to hear Krishna, uh, uh, Krishna Kata. We get to hear the Vedic hymns. We get to see the beautiful deities. We get to see the devotees. See, the level of enjoyment is, as they say, off the charts see, for the devotee. Now some people say, well, but what about all this austerity? Well, austerity is a perception. We have to be careful of uh, tricks that the mind plays on us. For instance, uh, let's say that if you're uh, a meat eater, 
if you're fond of eating meat, like I was, when I became a devotee, I was very fond of eating meat. From my up upbringing in America, I didn't know anything else. So I started reading Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita, and the philosophy sounded wonderful, until I got to the part where it says talks about eating meat, and I thought, well, wait a minute. I'm at, I've got to quit eating meat to be a devotee of Krishna? Well, I've got to think this over. What an austerity. Because I like this, and I like that, and I like this, and all my life. I was 26 years old, or 24, something like that. I'm thinking, you know, all my life for 25 years, a quarter of a century, I've eaten this particular way. What does what I eat have to do with spiritual life? And I thought, well, I'll give it a try. Because the philosophy makes sense. Everything else is wonderful. And I'm starting to understand. I didn't want to. I didn't want to let go of my diet, the way I ate. I wanted to hang on to it. I didn't want to change. So, but I thought, let me give it a shot. And so, Hare Krishna. As time went by, very short time, I started thinking, oh, well this is, this is better. So, your perception changes. And in a very short time, to eat meat would be a big austerity. It would be like eating something slimy and dirty. It is slimy and dirty. It's the flesh of a dead animal. It's roadkill. Without the road. Take away the road. Take roadkill. Remove the road. You have meat. Isn't it? So, my perception changed. I thought, oh, what an austerity would be. Some devotee said, well, what if you were on a, on a desert island? and you had nothing to eat but meat, what would you do? I think, oh, wow, wow I'd almost rather die. I'd all, I mean, I, I'd do what I had to do to maintain body and soul, but it would be a big austerity. So you see how the, main, the mind changes? The way I saw eating flesh changed. It was, I was thinking, what an austerity to give it up. Then when I got a little bit of consciousness, when some of my consciousness was awakened, I thought, what an austerity to do that. How did I ever do that? Why did I ever do that? Why? Because that's what was given me. You know? My mother, bless her soul, God rest her soul. You know, when I was teething and I was starting to eat uh, solid food, that's here, take this, eat this, take this, you know. So that's, that's how I was conditioned. That's all it is. I was conditioned to eat this way. I was conditioned to act in a certain way by the modes of material nature. You see, part of this description is Srila Prabhupada says, or Krishna says here, uh, the branches of this tree extend downward and upward, nourished by the three modes of material nature. The twigs are the objects of the senses. So the, you got the sense objects that are always wanting something. And the mind is the sixth sense. Some people, uh, they're unaware that we have actually six senses. We have taste, smell, sight, hearing, touch. You know, we have five senses and then the sixth sense which is the mind. But if you don't know that, when, so, when, when your tongue says, I want that food, you think, I want that. Without the mind. The mind is like having, uh, uh, let's say you have a, a chariot or a wagon. The wagon's drawn by five strong horses, the senses. You see? And if you don't have any reins, they're going to go wherever they want to go. You see? You don't even know there are such things as reins, and you're just in this wagon, and the horses are going this way and that way. But the mind is, are the reins that you can say, no, no, not that way. Go this way. Giddy up. Stop. You see? 
the mind actually has the power to tell the senses yes or no. The mind accepts and rejects if you have some consciousness. The mind can analyze, am I doing this just because I'm conditioned? Is there a reason? You know, sometimes uh, as I travel around, I get in a, uh, a culture and I can't think of any for instances. Well, you could think like, like Christmas. Why do we do Christmas in America? Why is Christmas the way it is? It's just the way we do it. December 25th. They say that uh, the, the, the people who study the biblical uh, scholars, they say there's no way Christ could have been gone, born in December. Not possible from the description of everything. Couldn't have possibly been born in December. Had to be more like late April, early May, somewhere in there. Couldn't possibly. What does the Christmas tree have to do with the birth of Jesus Christ? Not a thing. Well, why do we do it? Because we always have. <laughs> we don't know. You know? So, do you notice that about America? Do you wonder? Why do they do this? You could ask somebody, why do you put the tree up? Well, because... Because we do. Well, what's the significance? Means it's Christmas. Well, what does it have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, everything. Like what? Oh, just leave me alone. Nothing. But it's the way we do it. It's our conditioning. When you get into history, you can find out things, you see. When, uh, <coughs> when the Romans forced the Christian religion on the pagans, the pagans in Europe, pagans had holidays. So it was like the Romans had, had already chosen Emperor Constantine and the Council of Nicaea had chosen it. We're going to rule by religion. And everyone, every country that Rome occupies will be Christian. We've chosen Christian religion. So they come to uh, Europe. You see, they're con they're, they're, there's going to be war. It's like, you know, you, you guys, you English and French and everybody, you have to take our Christian religion. Well, we're pagans. You have to be Christian or we're going to take our sword and we're going to start killing you. And so the pagans think, well, hold on, let's negotiate. There's some things we really like about our religion. What is that? Well, on December 25th, we always celebrate the rebirth of the sun. You know what that means? You know how that comes, comes to be? Does anybody know? Well, I, know? I thought it was the winter solstice. The winter solstice is the 21st of December, which is the shortest day of the year. And it drops three days, and then on the 25th arrives? It stays the same for three days. On the 21st of, of December, there's less sunlight and more darkness than any other day of the year. And on the 22nd, the 23rd, and the 24th, it stays the exact same. On the 25th, it starts to get more sun, less darkness. 26 more. So it was the pagans considered that the birth, the birth of the sun. In other words, winter has done what it's going to do. From here on out, it's just going to get better. So they celebrated. They cut down trees, you know, certain trees, and they decorated the, the halls with boughs of holly. They did like that. It was pagan. It had nothing to do with Jesus Christ, nothing to do with the Middle East. Some people forget that Lord Jesus Christ took his birth in the Middle East. <laughs> have anything to do with pine trees. But that's what they did. And they said, we're kind of attached to that. We want to keep it. And the Roman says, okay, you got that. What else? You know, so they had these certain things. And they said, all right, you can keep that. Yeah, that's all right. 
He could do that. This is history. This isn't emotion. This is actual fact. Historical fact. That's how we got. It's a combination of Christianity and paganism. And there's other examples too. But that's how, that's where this comes from. This comes from conditioning. We've always done this the same way. We've always put up trees and decorated them to celebrate this time of year. Okay, why don't you make that the birth of Christ? All right, we can do that. We can do that. You see. So it was a negotiation. Instead of the Romans are saying, do like this, we won't send our army in here and kill all of you. And the pagans were afraid because Rome had already conquered the rest of the world, the known world at the time. There's also the Easter eggs. Yeah. I, I, that's pagan also, I believe, but I don't know. What does that have to do with, with uh, the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ? What is the Easter egg? I think it was some fertility. It had something to do with the celebration of fertility or something. What does that have to do with the resurrection? No, it was like you're saying, it was a, a mixture of paganism and Christianity. Exactly. On that particular day, that particular time of the year, they celebrate fertility. Uh, civilizations have always celebrated fertility. What is it they have? The Shiva Lingam? You know, Shivites, they, they, it's a sign of fertility. A request for fertility in our village, so that we can be, we can be, we can have babies. We won't, our our race won't die out. It's very common amongst mankind. Very common. You see. So, what does the Easter Bunny have to do with? Now we're talking the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about someone who was put to death, entombed, and three days later, it was three days, wasn't it? Yeah. The stone blocking the tomb was moved away, and he resurrected. Well, this is pretty important stuff, isn't it? But instead, we have the Easter Bunny, and we have the Easter eggs. And see what I mean? It doesn't have very much to do with it substance so uh, this is all from conditioning we're conditioned to react a certain way so Krishna consciousness means breaking this conditioning I don't want to do something just because it's the way I've always done it I want to actually start to think I want to use my mind and interpret my, my actions why am I doing this why am I reacting this way you know somebody pulls in front of you in the, on the freeway and you make an obscene gesture and blow the horn why do you do that? well that's what we do are you really that kind of person? no you're not you're a nice person you're a wonderful person but you're covered over you've got these reactions you've got these they're built in you reflexes that are built in you Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. But it's not necessarily a, a human activity to react in anger. You see. Good example. Driving in India. Isn't it? People are cutting you off all the time. They pull in front of you. They don't get mad. You go faster. <laughs> He's coming! He's trying to get in front of me! No, you will not get in front of me. But they don't say, Oh, I'm so mad at you because you got... Is it? There's no anger. When the, the blowing of the horns is not anger. It's to let you know I'm here. I'm here behind you. Don't move over you'll hit me. Move aside, I want to go around you. Now in America, you blow the horn, people say, What are you blowing the horn at me for? They, they get angry. So I blows the horn immediately. Anger. You blow the horn and they don't get mad. Isn't it? 
Is there anger? No. Is this a fun? It's just driving. It's just driving. It's just driving. I'm going and you're going. I want to get there. And there's lots of traffic. Um, if I don't get in front of you, then you'll get in front of me. There'll be one more person in front of me. But it's not like this. It's just, it's just driving. That's all. There's no anger. It's the mode of passion, but there's no anger. You see. And once you, once you're in India for a while, you realize this. That's just the way. It works. It works this way. So, uh, we have ref conditioned reflexes, depending on where you are in the world. <laughs> this is all material. It has nothing to do with the true self. It's just material. You've been conditioned, depending on where you took your birth, to react a certain way to a given set of circumstances without you thinking. Why have a mind if you don't use it? You see? So when one becomes a devotee of Krishna, we start to break down this reflex of the mind. And you ask your mind, why are you doing that? Why are you, why are you act? You know, some, somebody may say something that angers you. And you say, why am I feeling this way? Now, I mean, really, Mr. Mind, talking to yourself, really. Why do we feel this way? And the mind's well, well, uh, uh, we feel like that when anybody does that. Well, why? I choose not to feel this way. I choose to be happy. And the mind says, well, you're the boss. Because you are. You're the boss. You're the owner of the mind. The mind belongs to you. The mind is subservient to you, the soul. It can't do anything without your approval. And if you just let it make your decisions for you, there's no telling where it'll take you. There's no telling how it'll screw your life up. You see? So you tell the mind, yes, we'll do that. No, we will not do that. And if you're interested in spiritual life, you'll use your mind to accept things that are favorable to your spiritual advancement and reject things that are unfavorable to your spiritual advancement. You see? Just like you would if you were wanted to be uh, a businessman. You use your mind to accept things that are favorable to the advancement of your business and to reject things that are unfavorable to the advancement of your business. Happens every day. The businessman can control his mind in a certain way. The doctor controls his mind in a certain way. The attorney controls his mind in a certain way. The spiritualist should control his mind in a, a certain way. You see? So we, we do like that's spiritual life. Regulating and, con and controlling the mind only for a short time. Then you recondition it. You recondition the mind to uh, a certain re set of conditions. And then the reflexes are different. You don't get angry. The default in your mind, just like you have defaults in a computer, the default in your mind is to be happy. I choose to be happy. Yeah, well, what, what are you talking about? You know, it's 100 degrees. What does that got to do with me being happy? I can't be happy when it's 100 degrees? Yeah, well, the Republicans may win. Well, I choose to be happy. My dear mind, you're not listening to me. I, am, I have made the decision that I'm happy. End of statement. I'm the boss. I'm the owner of the body of which you're part of. I command you. You can do like that. So, are there any, any questions or comments? Discussion? saying that uh, you choose not to be choose to be happy so 
it's it's kind of temporary stay that we you know even though you're going through but it's like that mind needs to have some kind of positive engagements in order to be happy yeah not just telling them yeah you have to have positive engagement such as some uh, some dedication yeah. uh, the only true positive dedication in in uh, in this material world is dedication to God dedicated to serving the supreme that's the real uh, dedication that's something true to stand for so everybody has to stand for something because what you stand for will define your character who you are and what you're all about what do you stand for so if you don't stand for something that's substantial you'll fall for anything you know you'll dedicate your life to I don't know uh, silly things you know, um, individual things for instance I think it's a little sad sometimes when I see people who dedicate so much of their time let's just pick one uh, animal rights animal rights I dedicate myself to animal rights well we do too when you stand for dedication to Krishna and all living entities what is it that you don't get about the all living entities you see we serve the Supreme Lord and therefore serve all living entities which includes animals if you're a devotee of Krishna automatically you're for animals rights you don't eat them you don't kill them you respect them as uh, fellow living entities. You look at the plant or the dog or the cow and we know you are a spirit soul just like me. I had that body at one time and now you've got it. So automatically that's taken uh, woman's rights. That's automatically included all living entities that includes a lot you see we protect and we stand for the rights of all living entities we don't say well you know just the ones that are warm and fuzzy you know like uh, I I'll I'll I'll, I'll want to protect uh, dogs and cats because they're nice they're warm and fuzzy I don't care anything about cows and pigs though pigs are dirty okay kill pigs maybe a squirrel or two but no dogs and cats you see or minks they're kind of cute so all right minks are cute all right minks are on the good list all living entities that includes the plants we have feelings deeper than just taking care of the warm and fuzzies we want to, we want to see that the plants are taken care of nicely in 1973 I believe it was 1973 my godbrother um, Sri Rag Prabhu was in Hawaii and Srila Prabhupada came to stay for some time in Hawaii in Honolulu <clears throat> have you been to the temple there very very nice very nice beautiful in Hawaii the grass grows really beautifully you know everything grows nicely in Hawaii and so always when Prabhupada is coming there's a there, there's a uh, uh, everyone's trying to get things nice and clean for Prabhupada and so that means last-minute cleaning and once you clean a wall you realize oh that doesn't look so good somebody paint that wall hurry up Prabhupada is coming Prabhupada used to say why is it I always smell fresh paint when I come to the temple <laughs> you know so anyway there's always this rush to get things done nicely for Srila Prabhupada and so Sri Rag Prabhu was supposed to cut the grass we, had this, we have this beautiful property there beautiful 
he didn't have time to get the grass cut because he had the paint brought by the room, you know, <laughs> and do some straightening up. So, uh, Prabhupada was in his room, uh, working, doing some, some translation, and Sri Rog was cutting the grass outside his room. And Prabhupada came out on his balcony and he said, Sri Rog, stop! And Sri Rog says, is, is the noise of the lawnmower, is it bothering you, Srila Prabhupada? And Prabhupada said, no, it's the grass. I can hear it scream. I can feel it hurt. So don't do that. Not while I'm here. Prabhupada didn't, he didn't want you to cut the grass. The rights of all living entities. You see? So we're not tunnel vision. We're shotgun. We're looking. We're looking for the rights of everybody and everything. You see? That's intense. That's the vision of a pure devotee. You can see. No, no. Don't cut the grass while I'm here. I can't stand its pain. If you have to cut it, do it while I'm not here. Did that answer the question? Anybody else? Yes? I don't think it's the same subject, but I'd like to hear something about forgiving. Forgiving? Yes. Excellent, excellent topic. Forgiving, um, to forgive, we have to let go of our false ego, you see. And of his false ego is when you say, I am, and if you end that statement with anything other than a humble servant of God, that's false ego. Because that's what we are. If I say, I'm an American, that's false ego. How dare you do that to me? I'm, I'm an American. You know, how many people go to India and say like that? You know, they go to India and see Westerners. You can't treat me that way. You can't cut in line in front of me. I'm an American. Sometimes they cut in, in line in India. They cut in line. They don't mean to be nasty. They just don't, it's okay. You know, it's different. You could cut in line in front of them. <laughs> you do that in America, people get angry. Isn't it? <laughs> what are you doing? You can't cut in front of me. Sometimes people cut in line. And it's different culture. So, false ego. Who are you to do that to me? So, if someone cuts in line and they turn around and say, Oh, please forgive me. Well, I, you've got to make me feel good about my false ego. See, you've got to... Alright, you've got to be humble. You've got to act like it really hurt you that I've noticed. You've got to give me the respect that I'm due. You've got to get behind me before I'll forgive you. If you grovel a little bit, say, oh, my dear sir or madam, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you in any way. Please forgive me and humbly crawl to the back of the line. I may think about forgiving you. You see? The problem came up because I have false ego. I'm thinking I'm so important. How dare you cut in front of me? How dare you cut me off on the freeway? Don't you know? who I am, and how important I am. Let's see. So, forgiving, forgive and forget go hand in hand. You have to, to forgive, you have to forget. You know, if, like, if someone accidentally in a crowd, if they accidentally step on your toe, and they say, oh, please forgive me. Don't worry about it. But the toe still hurts. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm I didn't mean saying. it. I mean, after you've forgiven, the hurt is still there. But you forgive the person, you may have yeah. the pain. You may have the pain. Now, if it's a mental hurt, someone lied to me and caused me great pain. So, if, before I can actually forgive, I've got to be also willing to forget that they did that. You see. And I've also got to remember that there is this thing called karma. 
the magic karma that we hear so much about and we understand so little. How many times do you hear people say, what goes around comes around? These catchphrases people say, well, what goes around comes around. But when it's coming around to them, they don't feel that way. Hey, wait a minute, I've been wronged here. The guy stepped on my toe. Well, what, maybe I stepped on somebody else's toe before. Now I've got that, what goes around comes around. Maybe somebody lied about me. They said things that were wrong. They caused me great pain. And I have to remember, as it's coming around, in the Bible it says, as ye sow, so shall ye reap. If that's true, and I believe it is, then as you are reaping, ye must have sown. What goes around, comes around. For every cause there is an effect. You see. So, I'm not innocent here. Somebody told a lie on me. I'm not completely innocent. I had that coming. I had it coming. Now, if I'm, if I uh, have a little too much false ego, I may say, "Well, I don't see how I could possibly have that coming. I've been a good person all my life." <laughs> when I say that, I'm not. Tr that's not true. I have not been a good person all my life. I have done many nasty things. What about my previous lives? I don't even know what I've done. Who knows? So, I've got so much coming. If it's coming, I caused it. I am the cause. I'm the recipient of something that was caused by me. You see. So in other words, I'm not innocent. I'm going to hold you innocent. You lied. You cheated me. I had that coming. It's not your fault. It's mine. Now, I may not trust you in the future because you're lying and cheating. You know, you buy something from somebody, you buy a car from a used car lot and he cheats you. You know, you think, well, I had that coming because I was probably cheating someone else. But now that I know that you're a cheater, I'm going to deal with someone else. But it doesn't mean you hate them. See what I mean? Does that make any sense? You got to give it up. You got to let it go. Otherwise, it's called uh, mental constipation. That's true. It, you hold all these things in your head that you haven't let go. It can cause. This is actually uh, true. Calls psychological constipation. The beginning of madness can lead to madness if you're holding so much of a grudge towards so many people. It can actually fester and grow. Very healthy to say, yeah, I let it go. But did you see what that guy did to you? Yeah. I know for a fact that I had it coming. I'm not saying that I'm going to trust, I forgive this person. You know, I know I had it coming. I mean, there's no telling what I have coming. Let's see. Yeah. I've seen uh, some people actually close relatives, <coughs> they just hold grudges against each okay. other. Yeah. So much that uh, they said, you did like that. That's why I, I'm a very good person, but you did it, that's why I'm going to be here. And I don't want to have any grudges, I just want to stay away from it, go there close. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of forgiving and because family has to stay together. Yeah, we have to forgive. So, just. That's how there are several separations happen because they just want to stay away. Yeah. You don't want to forget. You have to forgive and forget. You have to let it go. We have to turn to Krishna. You know, we have to say, Krishna, help me with this.
because I'm feeling so wrong. And then if I think about it, I think, but who am I? I'm just a simple servant of Krishna. You see? Who am I? Why am I so special? The problem we have in this material world is everyone's trying to be special. In the spiritual world, you have this special person, God. Everybody get, get pays attention to him. Everybody, you know, in Goloka Vrindavan, everybody's thinking about Krishna. They're praising Krishna. Krishna's in the center. Everybody does everything for Krishna. People make garlands for Krishna. People are preparing food for Krishna. It's Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. What about me? See, that's the first contamination. What about me? Why, why is this Krishna the center of attention? And at that point, we choose to leave. I'm going to go someplace where I can be special. Hence the problem in the material world. I'm trying to be special. You're trying to be special. I'm trying to be more special than you. I can recognize that you're kind of special, but I want to be more special. So I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a more expensive hairdo. More expensive car, because I'll be more expensive than me. He's got a real nice car. I want a better car. You see what I mean? So we have to... Uh, we have to see the situation in this material world. I'm trying to be special. I am a little envious of the Supreme. That word, the Supreme, he's the Supreme. He's God. Why shouldn't he have everybody's attention? How can I possibly compete and compare with, with him? Why would I try? That's foolish. False ego. So here I am in this material world. I've come here to be special. Try to get everybody's attention. You know? And the only problem is, everybody else here is trying the same thing. Therefore we have wars, we have fights, we have road rage. You see? I feel I'm special, so if you cut in front of me in the line, who do you think you are? What you're saying is, who do you think you are? I'm more special than you. You think you're special? You're cutting in, you think you're more special than me because you're cutting in front of me. But I, I'm more special than you. You should be behind me, you see? I was here first, that makes me special. Why not say, oh, that's okay, come on in. That's okay. It's just like if we take a, let's say we, we have a nice group of people here. I like this example. Let's say when we're finished, I'm going to take my phone, really nice camera, and I'm going to take a picture of the whole group. Okay? And then we're going to develop this. They don't develop anymore. You just look at it on the camera. All right, so I'm going to pass the camera around. You're going to look at the, the group picture. When the camera comes to you, the picture's there. Who's the first person you're going to look for? Good old number one. The most special person on the picture. It's a knee-jerk reaction. We've got to fix that. You see? We need to get over that. Every one of us is the same in that regard. Except the pure devotee of Krishna, he's looking for Krishna. He's looking for the real special one. And when you're looking for Krishna and nothing else, when Krishna is the most special to you, that makes you very special. But you don't see yourself as special. Everyone else may see you as special. But you don't have to buy into their nonsense. You think, I'm not special. I'm just a servant of Krishna. I'm his servant. He's servant of Krishna. I'm his servant. And people no, 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 you're so special. Oh, you're just being nice. You see what I mean? What a wonderful world. We've got the blueprint for a perfect society. 
if we start to adapt spiritual life, we have a perfect, beautiful blueprint, blueprint where you're more special than I. And if everybody thought like that, and everybody was ready to defend the, the rights of all living entities with forgiveness for everything, now we're talking a perfect society. This is spiritual life. That is the definition of spiritual life. Does that make any sense? Anything else? I think it's probably time to wrap it up, huh? All right. All glories to Shiloh Prabhupada. Thank you all for coming. Hare Krishna. Mm -hmm.